going to be talking about, I want to bring up this subject matter of shame, which is kind of a weird thing. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm not talking about the kind of shame when someone shames you. I mean, that. can I just apologize if you've ever been in that place? I think we all have, right? And maybe you have been in, uh, been in a situation where you were shamed by uh, someone in a church or by a Christian, and they were kind of shaming you. And unfortunately, the problem is shame is basically conviction without love. And unfortunately, as Christians, we, we, anything that we do, we th- do through love, and, and, and that's important. But, but that's not really the shame I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of shame that happens when you're battling internally in yourself. And you know what I mean, where, where you just sit there and you're like, you feel like you're in this shame spiral. You feel just very upset where you are and, and where you're going. And you just think, there's, is there any hope for me? And if you're battling with that weight of shame this morning and you're coming in and you just feel like this weight of shame and it's, it's like no one knows about it, you're just battling inside, you're just wrestling with this, um, I'm glad you're here today because today we're going to be talking about a different way. And we're talking about actually the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus addresses shame. And we've been in this series, uh, in fact, we just started it last week, and we've been in this series, but I, I love this, that Jesus didn't just teach just different things, but he calls people to live different ways, and, and the way he addresses these things, and he, he, he kind of invites us to live and calls us to live differently. And, and in fact, last week, many people kind of stood up and said, I'm, I'm ready to become that disciple, to follow the way of Jesus, not just to admire him, but to follow him. And, and I love that. And, but but one, one of the things that Jesus does is when he teaches, he, t- he was teaching of his values, of the values of the kingdom of God. And he does so wrapped in this kind of a beautiful sermon called Sermon on the Mount, which I think is more of a hill, but that's another subject matter. But it, 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 it's Sermon on the Mount. Before he gets into the kind of the sermon portion, he does this introduction, and that's where we get, and maybe you've heard this in church before, called the Beatitudes. All these blessed these blessed things. He's basically lining out the values uh, for his kingdom that he's establishing. And values are important. I, I know it sounds like kind of an old cliche term, but values are very important. And I'll explain to you why I think values are important because of this chart. Because what you think is important, what you value, informs or should inform your behavior. And when you act on your values, it reinforces the importance of that value. And when we do this, it kind of creates culture, right? And you know when you walk into a place and you're like, I don't belong here. You, 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 you just felt that cultural clash, you know. But Jesus is saying, I, he's, he's outlining these values. And what, what I love about Jesus is he presents a value, but he also preve- presents a promise along with that value. So he says, he's like inviting you. So when you live this out, there's a promise attached to this value. I'll give you an example. Rome, um, not Romans, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So he says, there's a blessing when you understand that you're spiritually bankrupt apart from Jesus. He says, those that have that awareness, there's a promise. You're 
your entrance in the kingdom of heaven. You, I mean, you're a part of the kingdom of God. It's those that understand that awareness of how far they are from the mark or how far they are that they really need help. They need a savior that sets you and I up to be like, that's the very people that Jesus is saying, that's who I want in the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to be talking about two blessings today, two ones I'm kind of putting together, verse 4 and verse uh, 7. And, and let me just show you kind of how these two are formed. And again, again, they're not next to each other. I've just kind of pulled them out and put them together. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I, I think this is just so important for us to, to talk about this, because there's two things I think all of us want this morning, is comfort and mercy. And if you don't want to be comforted and you don't want mercy, there's a third thing. You're lying to yourself, right? <laughs> I think we all want to be comforted and we all want to be shown mercy. And, and, and i got to be honest with you. I've read through the Beatitudes for, I've been a preacher for a long time. I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've read through this. And these are the two that I always skipped over. You know, I, I just hate to admit it because it seems so straightforward. It seems like, oh, well, you know, if, you, if you're sad, God will comfort you. If you're merciful to others, he'll show you mercy. So it seems so straightforward until I really started digging down into it. And I began to understand the reason why we're doing 4 and 7 is because I think if you do verse 4, and if you embrace verse 4, verse 7 is a whole lot easier. And so let's, let's journey into verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, this idea of mourning, when you first look on the surface, you're thinking, okay, blessed are those that have a good cry, you know, blessed are those that release this bent-up emotion, you know, for they will be comforted. And that's really on the surface. I believe what, what Jesus is telling the crowd in the first century and what he's inviting us to participate in is this idea of godly sorrow. Have y'all heard this term before? Godly sorrow. What is this? Godly sorrow. Like, could you say this verse like this? Could it be this? Blessed are those, if we could go back, blessed are those who grieve over their sin, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who grieve when they've done wrong, for they will be comforted. It's this idea of godly sorrow. And the reason why I think this is so important for you and I is because I think there's a temptation in all of us. We love to give ourselves a pass, do we not? I mean, let's be honest. We justify our actions. If we yell at someone in the office, we're like, well, they should have known. They should have talked to me until I got my second cup of coffee, right? I mean, they know better. It's, it's almost as if we want the world to bend to suit our needs. And anytime we find ourselves crossing some kind of line, doing something kind of wrong, then we justify them. Like if they only knew I had a bad day, I, I, I you know, my, my kids wouldn't eat the cereal I put out for them, I, 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 my my, my tires flat, I, all these different excuses to justify why I did what I did. And unfortunately, it sets us up to live in this place where we just give ourselves a pass. 
And the problem with this point, the, the area that we give ourselves a pass in is the area that we will not grow in. Because the reality is accountability is the key to growth or change, right? If, if you and I always let ourselves off the hook, we're never going to change in that area. And, and even at the point where we say, well, I'm just an angry person or I'm just this kind of person. And when we identify with that, we pretty much say, God, I, I want you, your activity in my life as long as it's not dealing with that because that's just who I am. And we're limiting God's work in our life. And I don't think any of us in here wants to limit God's work in our life. Amen, right? Amen. We want to be open. And maybe you're here this morning and you kind of feel stuck. And you're feeling stuck, and could it be that there's something to this godly sorrow that's missing that's put you and I on this constant will where we seem to be going back to the same issue time and time again? It's like we can't break this cycle. And could it be that it has something to do with this idea of godly sorrow? Could it be that we're trying to find comfort in a way that's not with Jesus, but away from Jesus? Could it be? And so if you feel stuck this morning, or maybe if you're dealing with shame, uh, I'm glad you're here because we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. Now, Paul takes this idea that Jesus preached on, and he kind of expands on this idea in a letter to these, to these uh, Christians in Corinth. And he writes, in fact, we have two letters First and second Corinthians, aren't we clever, you know, whoever named that. Uh, it's to the Corinthians, right? So we have these two letters, and, and Paul addresses this idea. And I, I want to show you, this, this is something I haven't preached on a lot before, so this is really awesome. He, he writes in this letter, and he really upset the Corinthians in the process of this. But there's something, there's a powerful principle hidden in second Corinthians chapter 7. And again, uh, this also gives me a, a little rabbit trail. So just be prepared for the rabbit trail. Are you all excited for the rabbit trail? I, it, yeah. Uh, okay. He says this. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter. Now, I want to just stop right there. Because we don't know what letter he's talking about. Ooh, this is so exciting. We, <laughs> I know. So, I'm sorry. I'm a Bible nerd. So we have two letters in your Bible. But there might have been more. Ooh, aren't you glad you came to church? I, we don't know if, he's, if Paul is saying, I wrote you a previous letter, and he's writing this in 2 Corinthians, so I don't know if he's referring to 1 Corinthians. So there's debate. Is he referring to 1 Corinthians, or is he referring to a lost letter that we don't have? Now, if you're having some theological jujitsu with me right now and go, well, how is it then, Justin? That we don't have this letter in the Bible. I think God didn't want us to have that letter in the Bible. Because I thought, because just my humble opinion, I think it was so strong. And so I think it would probably open the door to legalism. And I think we would misinterpret how to live out this, these principles. So God's like, I'm not going to give this to the church. Uh, this is just for the Corinthians. That's just my humble opinion. So I think it's a lost letter. But I'll just let y'all deal with that for the rest of the afternoon, by the way. But... <laughs> Listen to what he says here. I wrote you a letter, and it upset you. It, your feelings are hurt. He goes on to say this. He says, I do not regret it. Like, 
I'm sorry, but not sorry. You know what I mean? I don't regret it, though I did regret it. You know, he's kind of struggling. He's like, well, I probably shouldn't have, you know, talked bad about your mama in it. You know, I don't, I don't know how. He's like, I, I, I struggle with this because I know it brought you sorrow. But he says, I see that the letter hurts you. And that's what he's struggling with. It caused harm. It, it hurts your feelings. I mean, you're struggling with this. I, I, I called you on the carpet, but only for a little while. So he says, I hurt your feelings. I called you out on some things. I was sharp with my words. You were upset. He says this, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Ooh, wait, wait, wait. I don't know about you, but I don't sit there and be like, I am so glad I'm upset. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? Yes, I am having a bad day. Someone just told me off. I'm feeling great. No. But something in this where maybe we're living in a culture that wants to just do as much as we can to never face pain or never be upset or get our feelings hurt. Paul says, I had to hurt your feelings. I had to use sharp words. I had to call you out on something. And I'm sorry you felt that way, but as a result, that sorrow led you to repentance or the change of your life or the change of your mind. You're repenting. You moved. You were going one direction, but after the letter, it upsets you, and it moved you to repent to go the absolute opposite direction. For you became sorrowful. Now, this is, this is crazy. As God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Like you would like to project this on us. You would like to just say, hey, you shouldn't have said these things, but I had to say these things because God needed to get your attention, and it was only in that moment when you were upset that God was like, I needed you to be at that place to bring about the change that needs to happen. This is, this is not something that's fun to preach, by the way. You're staring at me like, oh, you want me to be upset. But here's the value of godly sorrow. Verse 10, so good. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. This, this all starts with godly sorrow. It was that godly sorrow I was convicted, I was, I, I, I was shown I was doing wrong, and it was that sorrow, and I felt the full weight of my consequences, and that brought me to a place to, to repent, and when I repented, there was salvation, and he's not just talking about a home in heaven. He's talking about you are going down a terrible path, and because of the sorrow led you to a place to change your path, and that puts you to a better path in your life. But, and then he says this, this is very fascinating, but worldly sorrow brings death. Okay, so there's two different kinds of sorrows. There's two different kinds of sorrows. There's Godly sorrow, and then there's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow leads and spirals to what he would say is death. What is the difference between the two? I'm so glad you asked. I think it's the difference between conviction and shame. 
I think there, there is something in our society that doesn't, no one needs to be held accountable for anything until it's too late. And so there's this conviction, but then there's shame. So conviction has hope about it, right? Conviction leads you and I to a place of a better path. We're convicted we did wrong, but there's a, there's a better path. There's hope, but unfortunately, shame doesn't have any hope. Shame doesn't have any love attached to it. All it has is it's a spiral to hopelessness. So let's talk about this conviction versus shame, this idea, this you know, when you and I, when we find ourselves doing something wrong, maybe it's we yelled at our kids. I know that never happens, right? We yelled at our kids, we overreacted, and you feel something, don't you? You feel convicted. I overreacted. I, I, I gave a $5 response to a dime offense, right? I overreacted. You feel that conviction. What do you do in that moment? Or maybe it's a coworker. You, you feel convicted because of what you said to them. And, and the question is, what do you do when you feel that tension, when you feel that conviction, how do you respond? Well, that conviction is calling us to do something, isn't it? That conviction is calling us to apologize to our kids, apologize to the coworker. A conviction is saying, I need you to do something because there's an imbalance there. You were in the wrong and you should feel the weight of your consequences and move you to action to make some, to make it, and we would even say language like this, to make it right. So there's conviction. But unfortunately, sometimes to apologize to someone, especially a coworker you don't like, or your kids because you're afraid that you're like, well, that, will that hurt my authority with my kids? And, or maybe it's embarrassing. We don't want to do anything. We bypass the conviction. And unfortunately, I think when we bypass the conviction, it opens us up for shame. When we bypass that, when we say we feel that conviction, and I'm, and I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe that conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, you did wrong. You need to go back. But I want to be comforted so much. And I'm looking at that and be like, it's not going to be comforting when I go and say I'm sorry. My pride's going to take a hit. I'm going to be embarrassed. So I'm going to just not do anything. Let it set. They just need to know. Talk to me next time after three cups of coffee, right? Don't mess with me when I'm trying to get ready for the day, kids. You know, you'll learn your lesson then it opens us up for shame. And unfortunately, conviction brings hope. Shame only leads us to hopelessness. But when we learn, when there is a conviction, when we feel bad, we did something wrong towards someone or just in general, right? I, I felt wrong. I, I should have done that. Then it, op when we Lean into that, it looks something like this, what James would say in James 5.16. He says, this is how you lean into conviction. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so this is what it looks like to choose 
to lean in conviction instead of in a, in a way from shame is to say, when I feel convicted, I need to go and make it right. I need to apologize to someone and confess my sin to them that I did them wrong. Or if it, there's not a someone I need to apologize to, I confess my sin to another follower of Jesus that can hold me accountable to the action that I did. That maybe no one was involved, but it was a violation against what God has for me. So in either path, James is saying, there's an invitation here. When you feel convicted, lean into it with confessing. Confessing. This idea of confessing. Now, why is this such an important thing? And this is not a new thing in church but maybe a new way of looking at it. Why is this so important for Christians to understand, to confess before others, to confess our sin? It's because we need to be able to feel the full weight of the consequences of our actions. We need to. That's what godly sorrow is. If I, ne- if I always give myself a pass that I'm always yelling at my kids or I'm always yelling at coworkers, I'm never inviting God into that area of my life to deal with me on that level. As long as I give myself a pass, well, they should know. They should, they should understand. They, they, they get it. And if they knew my situation, they, they would give me a pass. If, they, if we keep giving ourselves a pass, we'll never change to the people or in the men and women that God wants us to be. We'll never open up to that. So when we confess, we're facing that sin. When we face it, and if it's an apology, I was wrong, I, I shouldn't have said that to you, or if it's something that doesn't involve anyone else, but it's a violation against the way that God has set up my life to be, and I'm saying, God, forgive me, but I also need to tell my friend I've done wrong before you. I need to confess it. I'm feeling the full weight of my actions. And that confessing also gives me space to grieve my sin. Because I think it's only in that space when I can fully appreciate that I'm forgiven by Jesus. Will I ever fully appreciate what Jesus did on the cross if I never fully embrace how of a sinner I am? Ooh, it's quiet in here. (laughs) It's not a fun topic, is it? And could it be that the very reason why we feel stuck is because we've given ourselves a pass and we're in this cycle because we've never truly faced our sin. But it's only when we face our sin we realize I can't do this without Jesus. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, I stand forgiven. But that doesn't give me a pass to not apologize to the people I did wrong. And it doesn't give me a pass to bring accountability in my life in those areas of my life where I just seem to want to do it my way instead of God's way. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The comfort that Jesus brings is the kind of comfort that you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to run from this anymore. You stand and face it, and Jesus took care of it on the cross, but you have to face it, feel the full weight of it, and have the appreciation that you stand forgiven before a holy God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And bring accountability in it. It's a posture. 
It's a posture we should have. Of when we mourn, we're like, ah, how could I do this? But I did it. I face it. I'm going to apologize for it. And I'm ready to receive the comfort that comes from heaven. And I think it's when we come from this posture, we're able to approach verse 7. And that is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I mean, we all need some mercy. In fact, your neighbor needs it right now, don't they? We all need mercy. We all need this thing. But, it, but I think it's so much easier if we embrace verse 4 of understanding we have done wrong and yet Jesus provides forgiveness for us and we can stand, we face our sin, we are forgiven, and then we're able then to dispense the mercy around us. We are able to expense, dispense that mercy because we have experienced the grace of Jesus. And it's that promise for us. The more we, and I, and I feel like there's something to this. To the degree that I've experienced the grace from Jesus is the degree that I'm able then to dispense mercy. Isn't it interesting that our state has a lot of dispensaries, wouldn't you agree? They're everywhere. I did not know that one little law would mean that, that they, they, there's more dispensaries than, than dogs in this county. <laughs> so there's a lot of dispensaries. What if this church became a dispensary of mercy that understood the grace of Jesus so much so that they are a sinner saved by grace? That's what we were, but now we're a saint, you know. We have a new identity in Jesus, but I don't forget what I was because it's from that standpoint that I'm able to dispense mercy to the people around me. And to the degree that I understand the grace and I've been transformed by grace gives me the ability to dispense mercy to those around us who may not deserve it, who may have an attitude when you try to give mercy. Have you ever tried to give mercy to a person with attitude? It is the hardest thing in the world to do. You're like, don't you know how much I love you? I'm giving you mercy. That's why Paul said in Colossians, he said this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have any grievance against someone, forgive. Why? As the Lord forgave you. Man, that is such a difficult thing. Because when you stand in front of someone who's done you wrong, and to forgive, and can I tell you, let me just put this out there, forgiveness isn't just saying, yeah, yes, I forgive you. I believe forgiveness is a process. And you only know when you're done with the process when you no longer want bad things to happen to this person. That's when you know that that process has really taken root. And I believe for some of us, you, you, you know you should forgive, so you go, I forgive them. And then it's, they're still occupying space in your brain. And they're renting spray, space. And every time you think about certain places of where you go, you think about this person, ooh, they did me wrong. Knowing that it's a process, that every time they come back to memory, you're like, but I've forgiven him. I've forgiven him. Lord, help me in this process. Help me in this process. 
and it changes the world around us. But I, I want to kind of go back to Matthew chapter 4, or 5 verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because I, I think this is important. I think seven, I think, is, is difficult, but I think four is critical to live out verse seven. And for, for us, I feel like this is where we need to land. Because if we were to be honest, I think there may be some areas in, in your life and in my life, I know, that I've tried to bypass to be comforted in other ways. And have bypassed conviction, and by bypassing conviction, I'm only setting myself up for shame. So let me just ask you a really poignant question this morning. Is there an area that you're giving yourself a pass in, and it's bypassing this conviction? Is there an area? It could be a lot of different things. It could be the way, kind of like, kind of the way you present yourself. That you're an angry person, and that's what people know you as, and you're like, well, that's just who I am. But God may be calling you differently, to a different place. Or maybe it's jealousy. I'm just a jealous person. Or maybe, can I talk about it? Sexuality. You feel that God's view of sexuality, as far as in the New Testament, is too constrictive, too restrictive. But there's conviction there, and you're like, ah, and you're bypassing it. Could it be that you're only setting yourself up for shame? And what if you conf- you're, you're convicted by it, you confess it, you face it, and you invite God in that area? What if this morning you decided that those areas that you've been giving yourself a pass in, you said, you know what, I'm going to face it, I'm going to confess it, And I'm going to invite God into that area of my life. No matter what it is. Maybe it's a character issue or maybe it's a a habit or whatever it is. Or maybe, can I just put this next slide up? Maybe it's someone that you need to confess to. Maybe it's someone that you wronged, you lied to, you talked about them, you gossiped about them, you were deceptive around them. What if you this week said you're going to put your pride on the line And say, God, I'm going to go up to that person and say, I've wronged you. Please forgive me. You know what you're doing? You're facing it, you're confessing it, and you're inviting God in that area. God has called you and I not to just meet together as a church so that we can, you know, have this like rah-rah-ree, you know, moment. I think as a church, we're supposed to lead out in this. Maybe instead of looking at politicians and people that should, you think that should be doing this, you're like, whoa, they need this message. I'm going to send this to my congressman, you know. (laughs) Before you do that, maybe live this out. Start with us. Start with me. Start with you. And start with this moment when we invite God in the process of God, help me to feel the weight of my sin so that I can fully appreciate the cross, and that I'm forgiven, and help me move to places where I've changed, and help me to not be stuck anymore. And maybe some of you right now are stuck in the shame spiral, 
And you come into church and everything feels off and everything feels wrong because when you're in that shame spiral, you feel like you're a loser, you have no hope, you're kind of just going down this and you just have no hope and you're just looking for something. Jesus provides a different way to live. And the way out of shame is confessing, facing it, and inviting God in it. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's stand to our feet and let me pray for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, this was not an easy message to preach. The idea of godly sorrow is something that may be very foreign to a lot of us in here. But Lord, it's from what Paul said that it was only the change that was, he was able to see in the Corinthian Christians when they embraced this sorrow that led them to repentance and ultimately salvation. So God, may we take that same path. Help us to see these, those areas in our life that we're giving ourselves a pass in. Whatever it is, help us to see it so we can face it and confess it and invite you in the process. And as a result, may we be Christians and the church of Jesus Christ that will dispense mercy to those around us. Help us in this pursuit. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Give three people a high five and we'll see you next week. <laughs>